Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.59 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the, uh, what, the 2nd of March, 2021. This is episode 375 of Bitcoin. And let's start off with Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's, that would actually be Obi-Nwosu uh, from BTC Times. And we, the energy FUD is still going around and it's been around, but it's coming back up in full force. Uh, God, now that these things called ESGs and ESG compliancy um, ha- has now entered the the mainstream narrative, uh, and that's like, I can't remember, ESG is like energy systems governance or something like that. Something to do with being compliant with how much energy you use, which I'm sure comes back to carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff. But Obi's got a pretty good refutation here of the energy usage situation for Bitcoin mining, and he calls it the attack of the energy prats. Again, this is from BTC Times. What do you do when all your arguments against Bitcoin have been proven bunk and every one of your predictions of its demise has fallen flat on its face? Well, you try a new angle of attack, of course, one that harnesses your knee-jerk antipathy to a hot-button issue that everybody cares about. On Friday, we saw this approach rear its head in the form of pearl-clutching concerns about Bitcoin's electricity footprint, with a big story on the BBC warning that energy could burst Bitcoin's bubble. This is risible for many reasons, not least because it deploys a number of prats. Points refuted a thousand times. That's P-R-A-T-T. That's the acronym here. First, let's look at what they've got right, and it won't take long. Yes, Bitcoin has a high energy footprint, with mining operations, by some accounts, consuming around 110 terawatt hours of electricity. The BBC and many other mainstream media outlets have for hours of fun using these figures to blame Bitcoin for climate catastrophe. But compare this with streaming media, and it starts to look pretty insignificant. The IEA estimated that Netflix, 167 million subscribers, account uh, for 94 terawatt hours, while YouTube, with over a billion viewing hours a day, consumes 600 terawatt hours a year. Well, that's hardly surprising when just one video, Despacito, featuring Justin Bieber, was responsible for 900 gigawatt hours on its own. Still, it's undeniable that much energy goes into mining and transacting coins. But this ignores the fact that data centers are increasingly powered with renewables. Indeed, the technology sector is largely responsible for a nearly 50% rise in demand for corporate renewable procurements last year. And Bitcoin miners are even more incentivized to demand green electricity. But there's only so much green energy to go around, right? So why should we spend it on Bitcoin? 
This is another oft-refuted point. There is no shortage of green energy. The sun, our ocean currents and tides, the wind and geothermal. Humanity has barely begun to tap these sources. We're still decades or more away from reaching the first level on the Kardashev scale, harnessing all the energy available to our planet. Every day, over 5,000 times more solar energy strikes the Earth than the total amount of energy humans actually use. The reason we can't use more sunlight or tidal and wind, for that matter, is that most of it exists far away from where it is most needed. That was until 12 years ago, when Bitcoin became the first utility that could turn energy into value independently of its proximity to civilization. The proof of work that underpins it means miners... <coughs> Seek out the abundant, decentralized, and unused renewable energy that blankets the globe. There's another important question that Pratt's conveniently ignore. They think Bitcoin is a hobby, a fad, a speculation. And this entirely misses the point that I've repeatedly made in this column. Bitcoin is a valuable utility. It means a store of wealth in an increasingly uncertain world. A way to help billions of unbanked people around the world take charge of their financial future. And I would actually say their financial present, too. There are so many ways <clears throat> to refute these lazy arguments, so I'll restrict myself to one more. One of the biggest drawbacks of renewables is that they're unpredictable. The wind doesn't always blow, nor the sun shine when we need electricity most. Bitcoin, which can be mined at any time, is a perfect way to eat up surplus renewable energy when demand is low. As such, Bitcoin acts as a giant battery for the grid, turning energy into value that is impervious to attacks from even the most powerful of prats in the world. Don't let doom mongers guilt you into divesting. Every time you see a wind turbine or a solar array, know that your Bitcoin investment in its own small way is helping transform the planet for the better in myriad ways. And oh my, you can't imagine. <clears throat> things cooking upstairs that actually make a lot of sense to me and a lot of sense to other people. Uh, and I'm not even all that, I'm, I'm honestly not all that concerned with the client. If you've uh, climate, if you've listened to me before, you know that I come at it from a biologist and an ecologist standpoint and understanding that we live on a dynamic planet and therefore the climate itself is going to be dynamic. In fact, the mini ice age may very well have been caused by <clears throat> and there was well actually there was a oh god we'll see there was a a mini ice age and i can't remember exactly when but it was in what you would call modern times and it's very it's very likely that it may have been caused by the death of millions of people along the amazon basin when the europeans first showed up and when i mean mini ice age i i'm talking it just got freaking cold i mean very 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 cold to the point that the climate in northern europe changed so much that farming was adversely affected and there were some you know there were some deaths due to famine well what caused it well all these people had been putting carbon into the soil for god only knows how long by digging pits putting all of their trash, slash, and other things that they would put in these pits, lit dry out, and then they would burn them, except that they didn't burn them to ash. They would light them on fire from the top, let it kind of burn down, and then they would cover it with soil so that it would kind of completely excavate the cavity of oxygen, but there was still fire. And what it would do is it would turn into charcoal. And then they'd bury the shit out of it and plant crops and, and whatnot on it. And it worked so well 
<clears throat> that as the millennia, you know, of these people being here increased, the carbon capacity of this or the carbon content of the soil increased so much <clears throat> that without the people after they died of various, you know, probably like measles and mumps and cowpox and whatever it was that the Europeans brought over, they weren't able to continuously harvest and the jungle literally overgrew in a, in a capacity that a jungle is generally not able to overgrow because of the way that the soil is really poor. It's mineral poor. It's, it's jacked up in its pH because of all the rain. It's, I mean, honestly, it's, it's counterintuitive, but the soils of a jungle are shitty ass soils, except for where these people were. Okay. It caused a major overgrowth at the Amazon basin. This is the theory. Okay. Remember, it's just a theory. In fact, it overgrew so much, and which is one of the reasons why we think there was a lot more people than what we th used to think was in the Amazon bases before the Europeans showed up, that there was so many people burying so much carbon in the soil, and it was so good for the soil that it caused such an overgrowth in the Amazon bases that it literally sucked the CO2 out of the atmosphere several points. And there was such a carbon dioxide drawdown into the soil that it crashed global temperatures to the point that it caused this quote unquote mini ice age that caused a famine and all kinds of farming problems across the globe. <clears throat> you let that sink in. Okay. There are ways guys that if you're really, if you are really pearl clutching, like Obi uh, said <clears throat> about the climate, then get off your ass and start burying some charcoal or something like that. This shit works. And if everybody does it, then you don't have to clutch your pearls any longer. So that's all I'm going to say about that. However, <clears throat> we are going to get into a little bit of how, how better to use the waste heat out of Bitcoin mining. This is coming from Daniel Kuhn out of Coindesk.com. There are strawberries growing in the village of Neuville, Quebec, in the middle of a Canadian winter. The small farm, La Quevide à Legumes, I don't know, I'm not French, I can't pronounce it, is funneling the excess heat from crypto miners to battle the frost and grow a rarity for the region. Quote, now is really cold, so we need the heat, Melissa Gerard, an agronomist at the small producer, told Coindesk in a phone interview, quote, we couldn't afford to produce strawberries if we had to pay for electricity. The farm is among a growing number of businesses and individuals turning to crypto mining for supplementary income, but approaching the highly consumptive industry is a carb in a carbon-neutral way. Bitcoin is wasteful by design. The distributed network eliminates centralized and trusted parties by trading energy for consensus. Miners essentially specialized graphics chips designed to churn through cryptographic math problems, audit the network, and receive the occasional subsidy for that work. Some see this as an inborn inefficiency, others as a necessary price to pay for an open and uncensorable payment network. No matter your view, however, it's in fact, or it's a fact that Bitcoin mining expends a ton of power. Cambridge University estimates that the global network consumes more energy than Ukraine did in 2019. This figure has certainly increased along with cryptocurrency's meteoric price rise, which draws in less efficient miners that can now operate in profit. This is to say nothing of other uh, <clears throat> of other another Bitcoin externality, and that is the waste heat. Enterprising folks see that byproduct as, as crypto mining's saving grace for most of Bitcoin's existence. 
It has not been economical for individuals to participate in the network by mining, but with a little know-how and some PVC pipe and duct tape, Bitcoin mining can generate profit while helping to cut power bills. Uh, La Kivu began mining cryptocurrency to generate heat for its greenhouses and help offset the cost of electricity in 2018. It was part of a pilot for the upstart hobbyist mining manufacturer Heat Mine, also based in the region, which never got off the ground. Founded by Jonathan Fort, Heat Mine pitched itself as an ethical solution to crypto's worrisome environmental footprint. The manufacturer wanted to offer a way for home and business owners to spin up a miner, earn passive income, and recycle some of the heat generated in the process. While the startup has folded, the idea has taken hold even without dedicated heat-producing miners. Kevin Carthy, founder, founder of Bitcoin ATM operator Winnipeg BTC, has been reducing his carbon footprint while participating in the Bitcoin mining ecosystem by recycling heat into his office since 2013, he said in a DM. He also uses it to keep his little electric car warm in the winter. <laughs> Canada's cheap energy and cold weather make it the ideal location to mine for heat, he said. While our conversation ran short, Carthy estimated the cost in 2018 to operate a Bitcoin miner at $70 with revenue of $100 in crypto per month. Quote, we have a cold weather, <clears throat> we have cold weather and we have inexpensive hydro. You mine for heat and you still make a profit. Okay, those figures line up with a return seen by other people experimenting with small-scale crypto mining. Christian Haschek, a computer scientist and tech blogger, recently started solo mining Ethereum in his home in Austria. Quote, it has always been my lifelong wish to warm my home with the server heat, he said. After designing his own environmentally efficient house, which is primarily powered by solar energy, he started experimenting. Haschek uses four crypto miners that run at about 176 degrees Fahrenheit to preheat the air in his central ventilation system. It's basically just a funnel. It's a pretty low-tech solution. Still, he said the incoming <clears throat> Ethereum covered half his electricity bill in January while also lowering the heat pump's electricity needs by about 50%. Mining is not very efficient, he said. I'm reusing the heat I'm self-producing, so it's almost a closed loop. Haschek estimates his mining operation would be profitable as long as ETH stays about $900. At the time of writing, it was about $1,500. Despite the allure of nearly free money, it's only a solution for colder months, he said. Quote, it would definitely, <clears throat> in the summer, end up cooking my tomatoes on the vine, Thomas Smith. A tech photographer and CEO of Gatto Images told Coindesk at the beginning of the pandemic, Smith began pumping heat from his crypto miners into a greenhouse in California. Smith's crypto mining adventures go back several years when he decided to see if a rig could warm his home. The trial was a success, though he realized the variable nature of mining might be better suited to hobbyist pursuits. Now, in a new house... <clears throat> Smith is using the radiant heat to keep his chickens happy at night. Quote, it's a little bit easier because chicken coops have, are pretty well ventilated, so you're putting the heat into the coop, but it's circulating and being vented out. He's now thinking, though, or it's thinking through how he might be able to automate when his rigs to, uh, turn off and on, adjusting to the temperature of his home, garden, or coop, not counting the value of his farm birds or Capri salad. Smith estimates he's earned about $1,600 worth in cryptocurrency. It's mostly just a hobby that helps pay for itself, but Smith, like Haschek, thinks it could provide a path forward for others looking to help secure cryptocurrency networks without adding to their climate guilt. 
Oh, you pearl-clutching little bitch. Of course, these efforts are small and nowhere near significant to counterbalance the larger geopolitical forces in play in corporate crypto mining, but it's a start, and it couldn't come at a better time with Bitcoin's price going parabolic. Alarm over the network's consumption has never been sharper. Projects like Layer 1 in Texas, which is making use of excess renewable energy production in West Texas, as well as the numerous hydro-powered mining farms across the United States, Canada, and China, are doing little to improve Bitcoin's mining image. Even if I scale this thing up as much as I could as one individual, it's not going to take me super far. But if a lot of people take these ideas and apply them at a larger scale, that can start to have a major impact on how much electricity and carbon emissions come out of these technologies. Even neophytes such as Melissa Gerard from La Caveau, uh, who only lets the machines run while she tends the plants, sees a future in crypto. Quote, uh, quote, it could be a nice way to heat houses. All right, so that's that idea has been around for quite a while, by the way, and has been run with you know some success for uh, especially the northern climates uh, like Norway, Denmark, Sweden. There was a lot of stories in 2015, 2016 of people doing exactly that, heating their house with the waste heat off of a crypto miner, and they were doing it really, really well. The problem with crypto miners is they make so much damn noise, <clears throat> and the noise itself is, is oh my God, It's if you've ever heard one, it's, wow. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to go to sleep with one of those things unless... Uh, there is severe and and very serious attention paid to baffling the, against the sound. So just you know, just saying. Um, but with all this said, you know, I can al- I can already tell you what what the new uh, uh, pearl clutching argument is going to be later on. We, like, let's say that we completely debunk the energy usage to the point that not even, you know, I don't know, not even the Southern Poverty Law Center bitches about it anymore. You know what they will bitch about? They'll bitch about the waste heat being used. And then they'll say, but the heat's going to heat up the climate. You can't, you're not going to win with these people, guys. It's not going to happen. There, there, there is so many people that have been brainwashed to just be the, just, I don't know, drooling sycophants that they will never get out of a mindset of victimhood ever. And that's what we're dealing with is everybody feels like a fucking victim all the damn time. And it's, it's, it, it's been making me sick for a while, but it just, I'm guarding myself against the, like the, the people that are running a greenhouse in, in Northern climates and they'll say, see, we never were able to grow strawberries here. The sycophants will come down and say, yeah, but you were never able to grow strawberries there for a freaking reason, dude. You're heating up the environment. You're going to kill us all, boil the oceans, kill the whales, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to stop. So be, be, be prepared for the waste heat uh, killing the climate, okay? It's going to, it'll graduate from electricity when it becomes not, not very, you know, <laughs> uh, not, <clears throat> people don't do well trying to take that stance. They will go to the waste heat. I guarantee it. <clears throat> So Goldman Sachs is going to resume trading Bitcoin futures in mid-March. This is Jeff John Roberts writing for Decrypt.co. Goldman Sachs has revived plans to open a trading desk for cryptocurrency and will begin dealing Bitcoin future contracts by mid-March, a person close to the banking giant told Decrypt. The decision, first reported by Reuters, is significant because it reflects how the biggest names on Wall Street 
are coming to view cryptocurrency as part of their day-to-day -day operations. It's also notable because Goldman Sachs announced plans for a crypto trading desk in 2018, but then shelved the idea amid the Bitcoin price slump later on that year. Futures contracts, which oblige purchasers to buy an asset at a given price at a later date, serve to increase liquidity in a given market and are used both for speculation and for hedging against price swings. Goldman Sachs will not be the first to offer Bitcoin futures contracts as other financial giants like CME Group uh, and Fidelity have traded them for some time. But the firm's decision is likely to spur further interest in crypto markets and comes as a bullish sign for Bitcoin. The bank did not immediately comment <clears throat> as to whether its trading desk, which will be part of its U.S. bank's global markets division, will offer contracts for shitcoins such as Ethereum or deal directly or strictly in Bitcoin. Goldman Sachs' foray into Bitcoin comes as the original cryptocurrency appears to be shaking off a brief slump last week in price. We don't really worry about that. I mean, come on. The recent rally has been further fueled by a decision of major companies, including Tesla, uh, to add Bitcoin to their corporate treasuries and bullish sentiment around Coinbase, which is poised to become the first major cryptocurrency company to go public in coming weeks. So there you go. They're they're getting they're getting back into the game. Now remember, this is about Goldman Sachs, right? <clears throat> so what else is going on with Goldman Sachs that has something to do with banking? Oh, nothing except that Walmart nabs Goldman Sachs bankers to help lead its new fintech startup. This is Walmart. Think of the real estate footprint that we are talking about. All right, Walmart. Now, this is out of CNBC. This is Melissa Repco reporting here. Walmart has nabbed two veteran bankers from Goldman Sachs to help spearhead its new fintech startup as the company looks beyond retail to drive revenue. Omar Ishmael, who leads Goldman's Consumer Bank, and David Stark, another Goldman banker, are leaving for the retailer. A Goldman Sachs spokesperson confirmed their departures. The news was first reported by Bloomberg. Walmart announced in January that it was creating a new company to develop unique, affordable financial products for customers and employees. It has teamed up with Ribbit Capital, a venture capital firm, but will own a majority stake in the startup. Walmart did not share the name of the company or when services would be available. Walmart executives, including CFO Brett Briggs, or Biggs, and Walmart U.S. CEO John Ferner will be on the startup's board. Walmart said it may acquire or partner with other fintech companies as part of the venture. The, dis, uh, the discounter declined to share details beyond what the company previously announced. With the hires, Walmart is putting money and muscle behind its financial services ambition. The company is also underscoring its strategy for the years ahead. At a recent investor day, CEO Doug McMillan said that the world's largest retailer will use its size and scale to drive revenue in other areas, from opening healthcare clinics to turning consumer data into targeted ads. Oh, God. Uh, he said Walmart will deepen customer loyalty with a gro God, doesn't that scare the piss out of you? I'm going to deepen our customer loyalty by what? Chaining them to the floor? Jesus, you, you, you talk about people like they're cat. Okay, you know what? I No. Walmart will deepen customer loyalty with a growing ecosystem of products and its subscription service, Walmart Plus. It plans... <laughs> 
<laughs> Disney Plus. It plans to step up investments to make that happen, boosting them to about $14 billion for this year versus the company's typical annual rate of $10 billion to $11 billion. Walmart already offers some financial services, such as a prepaid debit card that customers can load with money and use for purchases. The card is also an alternative for people who may have challenged credit history <clears throat> with features like no overdraft or monthly fees and no required minimum balance. The company's shares are up nearly 23% over the past year, bringing its market value to more than $374 billion. Okay, so boys and girls, <clears throat> Walmart, if they even touch the cryptocurrency side, is going to be huge for Bitcoin and sadly, yes, the shit coins. I just, because they're never going to go away and they all suck. I mean, it's like the... the Somebody will ask me, well, if they're if you really think that they're never going to go away, then why aren't you putting money into them? Because I don't trust them. I don't trust the people behind them. I don't trust the fact that there's that most of them have a central office and a CFO and a CEO. I don't like that shit. That's exactly what I'm trying to escape. Why the hell would I invest, you know, money, any kind of money, even fiat shit money into buying back into that system because that's all we're getting back from the shit coinery, by the way. But if Walmart, goes, I'm, and so the, here's the deal. I got Goldman Sachs that are opening up their futures trading thing at the same time that they're announcing that two of their guys is going to Walmart for financial technology. All right, I'm seeing a connection here. And if that plays out the way that I think it's going to play out, I think you're going to see Walmart enter into Bitcoin and sadly shitcoin. So I guess I have to say it. They're going to enter into the cryptocurrency space. <clears throat> but if they do, it's going to be freaking huge, dude. So this is coming on the heels of, of some news out of Germany about their banks. Apparently, they're telling their customers to take their deposits somewhere else. And this is out of the Wall Street Journal, guys. And you're, if, you're think, if you're thinking what I think you're thinking, then you're thinking exactly along the, these, the, the, the lines that you should be thinking. Interest rates have been negative in Europe for years, but it took the flood of savings unleashed in the pandemic for banks to start charging depositors in earnest. I'm just going to pause right there because that really needs to sink in. This is the shit we were talking about. That at one point or another, it's not going to be the people with $100,000 or $250,000 to trigger them charging me rent to hold my money in their facilities. You know, and what they're not, I, okay, I won't even get into the rant. I'm just saying, it's now it's coming to everyone in Germany, okay? And if you think it's going to stay in Germany, you're, you're fooling yourself. It's going everywhere. This shit's going everywhere. So what do you do? You, you make sure that you've got a position in Bitcoin because we don't do that shit. <laughs> Germany's biggest lenders, Deutsche Bank, Commerce Bank have told new customers since last year to pay a 0.5 annual rate to keep large sums of money with them. The banks say they can no longer absorb the negative interest rates the European Central Bank charges them. The more customers deposit ba uh, deposits banks have, the more they have to park with the central bank. This is creating an unusual incentive where banks that usually want deposits as an inexpensive form of financing are essentially telling customers to go away. Banks are even providing new online tools to help customers take their deposits elsewhere. 
Banks in Europe resisted passing negative interest rates on to customers when the ECB first introduced them in 2014, fearing backlash. Some did it only with corporate depositors who were less likely to complain to local politicians. The banks resorted to other ways to pass on the cost of negative rates, charging higher fees, for instance. The pandemic has challenged or changed the equation. Savings have skyrocketed with consumers at home, and huge relief programs from the ECB have flooded banks with excess deposits. Banks also have used the economic dislocation of the pandemic to make operational changes they have long resisted. Alex Bearhouse, a managing director at a fintech company in Dusseldorf, received a letter from his bank, a unit of Commerce Bank, last year saying it was going to start charging a 0.5% interest on deposits above $100,000 euro, which is equivalent to about $121,000. To avoid paying, Mr. Bearhouse, whose savings ballooned without trips to restaurants and vacations, shifted some 60,000 euros to a bank in Italy and one in Sweden through an online platform called Raisin, which allows customers to shop for better rates at banks across Europe. God, Mr. Bearhouse can't even remember the name of his new bank, but said he felt comfortable given that Europe has domestic guarantees on all deposits up to 100,000 euros. He is receiving 0.8 interest on the one-year fixed deposit, similar to a certificate of deposit. Quote, I wouldn't mind receiving nothing but my deposit, but being asked to pay is just too much, the 34-year-old said, adding that he plans to use the money to buy a house before the birth of his second child this year. Our primary objective is not to collect such a deposit, but to advise and reallocate funds to other forms of investment, a Cosmers Bank spokesman said. According to price comparison portal Verivox, 237 banks in Germany currently charge negative interest rates to its private customers, up from 57 before the pandemic hit in March of last year. Charges range between 0.4% and 0.6% for deposits beginning anywhere from 25,000 euros all the way up to 100,000 euros. So there you go. What do you think about that shit, man? Because it's not staying in Germany. And it's it's not only, it's, it's going to spread like a virus all through the European Union. All right. And then it's going to start spilling over into their neighboring countries. And then it's coming west. It's coming here. It's going to come here. You you need to really just start wrapping your mind around the fact that you're going to start paying for whatever scant amount of savings that you have in your bank account. This is when I highly recommend having a position, at least a partial position in Bitcoin. You don't even have to go all in. I mean, I'm like I still hold fiat because I need to pay some shit in fiat at least right now. I I don't think that that's going to last though. I honestly don't. And I think it's going to change well within my lifetime. But for now, I've got to keep a little bit of savings in, in some kind of fluid form of, you know, so that I can pay electricity and some of the other things. Although I also suspect that I'll be changing that behavior because my fold card is almost here. I'm I'm literally sub four digits on the wait list now for the first time like ever. So um, as soon as I can, I'm going to start, I'm going to start paying shit and fold and, and any other instrument that I can get my hands on so that I can start at least getting further and further out of the fee, this fiat fiasco. Okay. So, but be prepared, 
because it's not staying in Germany. It's not staying in Europe. It's going to spill over. It's going to spill over everywhere. And it's just going to be so much more painful than we can possibly ever imagine. Why? Because everything is about to get more expensive. Quote, it's a crucial next step for the United States economic recovery. Guys, this is the business insider. Hillary Hoffauer and Bed Winnick is going to pearl clutch for us today about how your high prices that are coming are good for the economy. In fact, there's a bullet point here in the story that says, this is good. Inflation like this is a sign of a return to normal and healthy economic recovery. Aw, gee. And if you believe that shit, I, I got bridges all over the desert Southwest to sell you, man. Experts are growing increasingly hopeful that the United States economy will rebound in 2021, but there's a price to pay for that. The price of most things, actually, a vaccine rollout, a $1.9 trillion stimulus package, and the lift in spending from December's smaller stimulus paint a promising picture of a roaring, reopened America with lively restaurants, indoor dancing, and crowded stadiums. Mmm, yeah, baby. The economy is set for stellar, which is in quotes, growth as the pandemic subsides. A Bank of America note stated on Monday, while boosting its 2021 GDP growth estimate to 6.5% from 6%. It could all be the biggest boom time in the United States economy in a generation, but not without a cost. While history indicates that the U.S. likely won't see an overheated economy after Biden's massive stimulus package launches, Wall Street is predicting that certain goods and services might become more expensive. Uh, they're preparing you for the for the for the urinal swab. Bend over, boys. J.P. Morgan's David Kelly wrote in a recent bank note that high demand could boost prices across a range of services as the pandemic recedes over the summer, maintaining inflation at or above the Federal Reserve's two percent target. And Mark Hafel. The chief investment officer of Global Wealth Management at UBS wrote on Tuesday that while fears about persistent rise in inflation are likely overdone, his bank is predicting that inflation may spike in the short term. Yeah, ain't nothing more permanent than short-term shit, right? Quote, if pent-up demand emerges, prices could rise above their pre-pandemic levels, Brian Rose, a senior economist at UBS Global Wealth Management, told the insider. This may not be friendly news for Americans' wallets, but higher prices and demand for commodities without overheating is a sign of a healthier economy and a crucial next step toward the United States economic recovery. Rising treasury yields, a famous barometer for future inflation, were in evidence this week, and Wall Street economists see signs that everyday essentials like houses, gas, and healthcare are about to get more expensive you know what? I'm just going to leave it there. They go on to scare the living piss out of you. I mean, they talk about homes, gas, and, and healthcare in a, in a section. And they say stronger inflation and the treasury says so. And oil is going to get more expensive. And everything is it's going to get more expensive, but in a good way. I'll just end off with this one. Since price increases will be driven by stronger demand, Rose said, it, it, it's an encouraging sign that the impact of the pandemic is waning and life is recorded, uh, returning to normal. <gasps> it's amazing what happens when the orange man is out of office, right, guys? And if you believe what, if you believe any of that, and I, I don't even like the orange man, but this is, this is beyond the pale. This is just the, the amount of bullshit that is going on here is incredible because all of a sudden, magically, 
magically all this hope is on the horizon now that orange man is out of office really you you believe you believe that and then we immediately start dropping bombs on foreign countries again i thought that was amazing myself but fuck it let's run the numbers At CNBC.com futures and commodities, we've got oil up uh, 0.26%. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is going to come in at $60.08 a barrel. Brent North Sea up scant. It's going to come in at $63.77 a barrel. Natural gas swinging to the upside close to 1%. $2.80 is what it's going to cost you for a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold or shiny metal rocks. Mixed and meh, gold up 0.17%. It's going to come in at $1,726. Silver is down 1.25%. Platinum is down scant. Copper is up almost a point and a half. Palladium down scant. Indices, we got future. Well, everything's in the red, but it's a meh red, or at least so far. Dow futures registering a 0.04% loss. S&P futures 0.12 loss, NASDAQ futures 0.14 loss, and the S&P mini down 0.34%. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is, oh man, we went back under $48,000. We're at $48,969. We were seeing some good news yesterday, but apparently this is why we can't have nice things because people get weird whatever. Is that my high? It does appear that that's actually going to be my high number. I've got a low all the way down. Uh, let's see. Where, where was it? I just saw it. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be at Coinbase Pro, 48,712. So there's some arbitrage room if you want to take it. Uh, 330,000 tran transactions have been made in the last 24 hours. That's 13,790 transactions on average per hour with 483,000 BTC being sent in that last 24 hours. That's 20,000 uh, Bitcoin being sent on average per hour with the average transaction value being 1.5 BTC and the median transaction value being 0.02 BTC or about $1,000. Block times are right at 10 minutes. There is nine or rather 0.99 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 143.3 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a ooh, what is it a two percent swing to the upside in hash rate we are still low from our highs we are at 143 exahashes per second doge is still chilling out at five cents in case you wanted to know what stupid's doing well, clark moody bitcoin uh his uh, dashboard has 45,000 transactions are waiting to clear 86 blocks and it appears that we are we are still above $900 billion in market cap, and that represents an 8.09% capture of gold's market cap. That means that you can get 28.1 ounces of shiny metal rock for one Bitcoin. There are 18,642,630 Bitcoin in circulation at this moment. There is, let's see, ooh, 1,100 BTC in the Lightning Network at this time, and that is worth $53.7 million. 
The, that's being run over 9,220 nodes, and there are 38,525 payment channels on those nodes. Now, the Tor capacity part of the Lightning Network stands at 53.2%, so we've had a small drop from yesterday. There are 3,653 nodes on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and there are 586 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. So here's a thought though, we're at 1100 BTC and this is the highest I've ever seen it, but we're still at a capacity value of around $53 million. So I'm wondering as lightning goes up in capacity and then the main price of Bitcoin might pull back, is it possible that people are opening more channels or, or filling with their uh, previous channels with submarine swaps or something like that to get more capacity in their channels because they've got a price pullback and we're still kind of thinking in fiat terms. So the only thing that they can really do to maintain the amount that they can transact with over the same period of time is to put more BTC into the Lightning Network. What I'm saying is, is it possible that Lightning adoption actually sees not only adoption from Bitcoin price rises, but Bitcoin price pullbacks? I'm just saying, it's possible. All right, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to round two of the morning roundup. We're going to start with the saddest news. I did not make it into the community Bitcoin voice paper. I didn't. In fact, I was there. I mean, I, I was asked and, and I, I, I chose, you know, line 42 uh, to read and I, I read it and I sent off the audio file and I was listening to the voice paper because it came out finally yesterday and I come to find out that I got bumped by Matt Odell. I mean, if I'm going to get bumped by somebody, you know, at least it's not by that, that, you know, that stupid screeching owl or Marty's owl or something like that. You know, I got bumped by a good dude. Matt Odell is a, is a fine, fine gentleman in the space. And if I got to get bumped by somebody, I don't mind getting bumped by Matt Odell. Yeah, although I'm still, I'm still really upset. I really wanted to be in the voice paper because I wanted my chance to get sued by Craig Wright, right? BTC Times is covering this. Thomas M. is writing it. The community effort that gives a voice to the Bitcoin white paper. If you didn't know about this, let's just, you can just learn as, as I read along to you. Since its publication in 28 or 20, good God, 2008, the Bitcoin white paper has been hosted across multiple platforms. Anyone who wants to read the nine pages that made monetary history can easily find them in various corners of the internet. But one initiative went a step further. A 25-minute video published on Monday, The Voice Paper, brings together Bitcoiners from around the world to recite the Bitcoin white paper line by line and immortalize it in video and audio. The video was brought to life by multidisciplinary artist Dim Zion, author of Bitcoin fable Boltardia, as part of a two-part project dubbed House of Waz. 
<laughs> nice, I like that. Both parts come in video form. The first video shows Zion shouting the content of the white paper into the wilderness, while the second presents a collage of sentences recited by individual Bitcoiners, industry reps, and anonymous community members. Quote, while the first video looks at the symbiotic relationship at the individual level, I wanted part two, the voice paper, to focus on the community, celebrating its strong unity and amazing diversity, Zion told the BTC Times. That fervent, almost religious belief in Bitcoin is being shared across the board and regardless of aspirations, industries, ages, or backgrounds. A, diver a diverse and powerful community is the seed needed for hyper-Bitcoinization to flourish. The timing of Zahn's performance project could hardly be better as the Bitcoin white paper was recently uploaded to dozens of new destinations in an act of defiance. The move followed news that a number of websites, including BitcoinCore.org and BitcoinOr.org, had received letters from Craig Wright's lawyers accusing the host of, copying, of copyright infringement along with threats of litigation. Wright has initiated multiple lawsuits over the years to prove, and that's in quotes, he is the pseudonymous Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto. As part of his pursuit, Wright has made numerous claims, such as statements that he owned but couldn't access the private keys to Bitcoin's address associated with Satoshi Nakamoto. If anything, Wright's latest antics achieve the exact opposite of what he intended from participants in the Bitcoin space. Although Zion says he has planned the project prior to these events, they did lead to expedited execution as they created an opportunity for the community to voice its strength and indeed the voice paper initiative was met with a lot of interest or rather a lot more interest than Zion had expected. Maybe he'll explain why he bumped me here. Quote, the thing grew completely organically and in just a few days, 160 Bitcoiners had offered to contribute. It even got to a point where we had to have a wait list, end quote. While the video stars high profile Bitcoiners like Michael Saylor and Adam Back, Zion deliberately made sure to include community members of all backgrounds, or as he called them, Bitcoiners with no clout or fame. The support of the voice paper extends beyond the recital of a sentence in the white paper, though, as Zion received editing help from Richard James, creator of the documentary Hard Money. Oh, nice. While sound mastering support came from Art Collective's 21-isms Sir Batters, quote, in the end, we managed to produce the video with zero budget, but with an incredible amount of good spirit. Zion said, in itself, it proves the point that the video makes. And if you haven't, it, 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 if you haven't seen the voice paper, just Google Bitcoin voice paper, you'll find it. Or duck duck go it um you'll find it and you should give it a, you should give it a read because you'll hear voices that you're familiar with you'll hear voices that you've never heard from it's honestly i wish i had been included i wish my my piece had been included but i'm not i'm not like really sad about that because we still have the voice paper and i was thinking about this just 2 days ago like when when is this thing going to drop cuz that's a big project i mean you got an individual reading one sentence a piece from the from the white paper it's not like a whole paragraph it's one sentence per person right or maybe two sentences but honestly no more than that so you as you can imagine it's it's this is a big piece of video editing it's a big piece of sound engineering it was a big thing to undertake even though you don't think it but I mean, everybody's recording on their own equipment and they're uploading WAV files and MP3s and you got to do leveling against all this shit so that it makes a consistent thing. And I got to tell you, man, as just doing regular editing is hard enough. 
but editing 160 different files together, that's a bitch, man. And especially considering that it all comes with video too. Ah, I'm telling you, man. Only Mark Cuban's Shark Tank co-host, Mr. Wonderful, could actually buy 180 Bitcoin in the face of the dropping of the audio paper. I know that was just a terrible, terrible transition, wasn't it? Oh, well, sue me. Jeff Benson's going to uh, read this one, or I'm going to read this from Jeff Benson writing for uh, Decrypt.co. And he says, first, Mark Cuban got into Ethereum because he's a dick shit. Sorry, it's not actually written there. Now his Shark Tank co-host has announced his arrival to Bitcoin. Canadian businessman Kevin O'Leary, known to fans of the Investor Reality Show as Mr. Wonderful, said today that he will invest 3% of his portfolio in Bitcoin despite calling the crypto asset garbage less than two years ago. Quote, changes in the regulatory environment have changed my mind about participating, he tweeted, referring to the recent practice of companies such as MicroStrategy, Square, and Tesla buying Bitcoin. I will also invest in sustainable miners to avoid, oh God, here it comes, guys, blood coins. It's coming. He's spinning the narrative. Mr. Wonderful is not so wonderful. Blood coins? It, I guarantee you that's going to catch on. I guarantee it. Last week, O'Leary suggested he had softened his stance toward cryptocurrency. In an interview with CNBC's Headley Gamble on February the 22nd, O'Leary said, quote, I actually think the digital currencies are here to stay. He went on to admit, I'm holding a 3% weighting in it between Ethereum and Bitcoin. The volatility sickens me, but I'm getting used to it. Yeah, well, enjoy the ride, pal. That's quite a conversion from March 2019 when O'Leary said Bitcoin was garbage because you can't get in and out of it in large amounts, which was bullshit then, it's bullshit now. Quote, let's say you wanted to buy a piece of real estate for $10 million in Switzerland, he explained at the time. They want to guarantee that the value comes back to the U.S. currency. You have to somehow hedge the risk of Bitcoin. That means it's not a real currency. That means the receiver is not willing to take the risk of the volatility it has. It's worthless, end quote. Even as recently as three weeks ago, he was bemoaning cryptocurrency's volatility. Should I respect it? Yes, but I'm, or rather, yes, I'm not against it, he told CNBC on February the 10th. But would I put a lot of capital into it? No, I don't want to own something that goes up and down 30% in a day or a week. At the time, O'Leary said he owned less than $100 in crypto. At that point, MicroStrategy and Tesla had already sunk over $1 billion each into the cryptocurrency. In recent weeks, the former has upped its investment, while payments firm Square has bought an additional $170 million worth. O'Leary's television colleague, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, is in the middle of his own crypto coming out party. Uh, Cuban recently told Decrypt, Ethereum will disrupt big tech companies' business models. Oh, yes, Mark, you've just totally grabbed onto the wrong thing, <laughs> it's just, which doesn't surprise me. While Cuban says Bitcoin is better than gold, <coughs> sorry, better than gold, he's much more focused on Ethereum given that blockchain smart contract uh, functionality. <laughs> You don't need Ethereum for a smart contract. We use them all the time. They're called hash lock time. Oh my God. You know what? You, you go, Mark. Have fun staying to, like a dipshit. Not that it's a competition, but O'Leary comes off as slightly more bullish at the moment. He even has laser eyes, which, okay, whatever, dude. I don't care. But what I do care about is Bitcoiners taking care of their own. 
ZK Snacks and Bull Bitcoin award $40,000 grant to Bitcoin developer Luke Dash Jr. Thomas M. also writing for the btctimes.com says Z Snacks or Russ Z Snacks, ZK Snacks, the company behind Bitcoin privacy wallet Wasabi and Canadian Bitcoin exchange Bull Bitcoin has teamed up to finance a $40,000 grant awarded to Bitcoin developer Luke Jr. in support of the further development of Bitcoin node software Bitcoin Not. As the two companies announced in the blog post, shared with BTC Times, the grant has already been paid in full. Bitcoin Knots is a full node and wallet software developed by Luke Jr. Sorry, I'm not sure if Luke Dash Jr., Luke Dasher, and Luke Jr. are all the same person or not. I This is where I really hate it when people call the same thing five different names, i.e. Mopac and Loop One in Austin, Texas. If you're an Austinite listening to the show, you know exactly what the hell I'm talking about. When you tell somebody who doesn't know Austin to just go to Mopac, please tell them all the names that that shit is called because they don't know what the fuck a Mopac is. Okay. It's the Missouri railroad, by the way, just so you Missouri Pacific railway. Um, Sorry, getting back into it. Uh, with a, with the grant bull Bitcoin and ZK snack, ZK, Z, yeah, ZK snack set, to set or seek to set an example for the support of open source development and encourage other companies to follow suit. Cypherpunks write code, but cypherpunks don't get paid always. Bull Bitcoin CEO Francis Pulliat commented on the on the announcement. We can't expect the world's most talented experts to contribute indefinitely without financial compensation. Gee, you know, food costs money, rent costs money, electricity costs money, costs money, everything costs money. So expecting everybody to work for free forever is kind of a dipshit thing to think about, okay? Stop it. If the companies that profit from Bitcoin open source development don't provide the necessary funding, then who will? The choice to support Luke Jr.'s work on Bitcoin Knots is a strategic one. Bull Bitcoin uses software developed by Wasabi Wallet to coin join all transactions to and from the exchange, and Wasabi Wallet itself relies on Bitcoin Knots software. The grant was further motivated by the company's belief that the availability of different full node and wallet software options is critical to preserving the decentralized decentralization of Bitcoin's infrastructure. Wasabi Wallet developer ZK Snacks previously donated one Bitcoin to the Human Rights Foundation's Bitcoin Development Fund, which focuses on supporting developers who work on improving Bitcoin's privacy and resilience. The latest contribution is in line with company the, both companies' pursuit to develop uh, the development of open source software to maintain the decentralization of software or of the Bitcoin software. So Fidelity Director uh, says this about Bitcoin. It has a unique advantage over gold. All right. Now, Jurian Timmer thinks that Bitcoin has a place in investment portfolio. So who the hell's Jurian Timmer? He's Fidelity Investments global macro guy. Okay, global macro guy from Fidelity. What is it like? Fidelity is in the top three of assets under management in the world. They're global macro guy. Okay, the guy that looks at the whole picture all at once is saying that Bitcoin is has unique advantages over gold. This is, in fact, written by Robert Stevens for Decrypt.co. <coughs> 
As Bitcoin goes mainstream, joining the ranks of its supporters is Jurian Timmer, the director of Global Macro at Fidelity, a large financial a large okay services company that controls more than 3.3 trillion dollars. That's trillion with a T, boys and girls. And Bitcoin has a unique advantage over gold. He said. Timmer uh, last month published a note in which he suggested that it's a good idea for portfolio managers to consider Bitcoin as a replacement for gold or bonds. Quote, some investors may wish to consider Bitcoin alongside other alternatives as one, one component of the bond side of a 60-40 stock to bond portfolio ratio, he wrote. Timmer recited the features that give Bitcoin its value, its scarcity declining supply versus growth curve, its reputation, and its adherence to Metcalf's law, which holds that a network value increases faster as the number of users arise. But why interest in Bitcoin? Timmer said it makes sense to consider Bitcoin alongside gold, which is similarly scarce and doesn't do much apart from exist as a store of value. He noted that the world's monetary systems are less backed by gold than ever, meaning the global economy is increasingly reliant on monetary policies of central banks. In 1970, a year before the U.S. abandoned its gold standard, the ratio of fiat reserves to gold reserves was about 2 to 1. Now it's about 10 to 1. The financial crisis of 2008 made fiat reserves even less reliant on gold. The pandemic has only made that divergence even starker. Quote, so in this fiat era, we have less gold backing up the monetary system uh, at a time when money is being printed at breathtaking speeds. Quote, for some, this has made gold more appealing as an asset class. And lately, Bitcoin has joined the conversation as potentially a form of digital gold, but which is better? Noting that his opinion represents just one opinion among many, Timmer added that Bitcoin is far from a secure investment. Although both gold and Bitcoin are scarce, Bitcoin is digital and could be regulated out of existence. No. No, it can't. Not unless you've got consensus among every country on the face of the planet because there's always going to be one that says, fuck you, I ain't going to do what you tell me. And all the Bitcoiners will flock there and will build a country that just rivals all the rest of them all at once. Don't think it can't happen? Dude, Rome started from a tribe of miscreants. I'm just saying. All, let's <clears throat> see. Although both gold and Bitcoin are scarce, Bitcoin is, oh yeah, it's like, quote, quote, trusting that something conceptual and unproven can compete with a tangible rarity treasured for millennia takes somewhat of a leap of faith in my view, but Bitcoin may have unique advantage over gold. Uh, he said, Bitcoin supply by design is finite, he said, while Bitcoin supply growth is flattening and may one day flatline, gold production is steady. In other words, gold is scarce, but not getting any scarcer. Both gold and Bitcoin are worth considering at a time of low global bond year yields, which are close to zero these days. Last week, billionaire investor and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, said that bond investors face a bleak future. Ooh, good God, y'all. Bitcoin is not necessarily better than stocks, said Timmer, especially in the short term, but Bitcoin's price is extremely volatile. Stocks offer yields and pay out dividends, meaning that investments compound over time. Only in times of hyperinflation would gold and perhaps Bitcoin hold the upper hand. Well, as we've seen, that shit's coming, y'all. 
However, Bitcoin's characteristic <coughs> characteristics and growing market make it an attractive alternative to gold or bonds, he said. Bitcoin is gaining credibility and as a digital analog of gold, but with greater convexity. My guess is that Bitcoin will, over time, take more market share from gold, he said. Portfolio managers must no longer question whether to invest in Bitcoin, he said, but how much? Yeah, no shit, dude. All right, so speaking of all that, have you ever thought about paying your taxes with your fold card? Because somebody did. In fact, they paid $3,000 or $3,059.08 with their fold card. And when they did so, they received 320,665 Satoshis. So the, that, that's the thing with the fold card. And that's why I'm so pissed off that I haven't gotten mine yet, because I want to start paying all this to like mortgage payment, taxes. I want to start paying like, like my electric bill, everything that I would, would look at as a utility, although taxes aren't a utility, but let's just put it in that basket. Everything that it takes to run my household over the year, I want to actually pay for it with a fold card. Actually, I might as well pay for everything with a fold card, but at least those things, grocery bill, electricity, phone bill, taxes if i've got any all that kind of shit i just want to start using the fold card for that and just stack those sats on the on on the outside chance actually there's not an outside chance on the actual what actually is going to happen is that those sats are going to within my lifetime be worth 10 times as much as what the payment that i made to get those sats were actually worth all right so please guys if if anybody at fold is listening to this Please send me my card. I'm tired of I've been waiting for a year for that thing. Come on, man. Guys, let's 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 get it going on. Uh, is there anything else? Oh, MoneyGram faces lawsuit over alleged false statements regarding uh Cripple. I mean Ripple or XRP, whatever. <clears throat> Martin Young has this one uh from Cointelegraph. Payments company MoneyGram International has been sued over alleged false statements made regarding its partnership with Ripple Labs and their XRP cryptocurrency. Remember months ago when Ripple Labs was saying that they had nothing to do with the actual currency, that it was completely separate? Yeah, that narrative's dead. The class action lawsuit filed on March the 1st in California was submitted on behalf of investors who purchased securities from MoneyGram between June 17, 2019 and February 22, 2021. The Global Investor Rights Legal Practice assert MoneyGram made fraudulent statements regarding its partnership with Ripple Labs and the status of XRP as a security. According to a post announcing a strategic partnership between the two companies in June of 2019, MoneyGram utilized Ripple's XRapid product, leveraging XRP and foreign exchange settlements as part of its cross-border payments process. However, on December the 23rd, 2020, the company clarified it is not dependent on Ripple's XRapid service for its foreign exchange trading needs, which was rebranded to on-demand liquidity or ODL in 2019. Quote, MoneyGram does not utilize the ODL platform or RippleNet for direct transfers of consumer funds, digital or otherwise. Furthermore, MoneyGram is not party to the SEC action. Well, you're, you're going to be now because that was the whole deal. First, you said that you had a partnership with these assholes. And guess what's going to happen? If your your customers hear about this, they're going to look at Ripple and go, oh, I'm going to go buy some of this this hobo wine shit. This sounds like it's tastes mighty good and is mighty cheap. Look at that unit bias price. Oh my God. And then they bought it. And then the SEC sues the fucking pants off of Ripple. 
for an unregistered security, which you were party to, by the way, and you pumped it. The minute that you said that you had a relationship with these assholes, you got your you got people to invest in it and you're have have fun getting sued. Have fun getting sued, Money Graham. Have fun. So remember when all the Ripple heads came out of the woodwork saying, see, MoneyGram and Ripple's going to put Bitcoin under. No, they're not. No, they're not. Because the first thing out of the bag that MoneyGram did was distance themselves from Ripple, but they cannot distance themselves from the shit that they said in the past. That's why they're getting sued now because of the shit that they said in the past. So guess what's going to happen? Anybody that has any brain cells left in their head in the Ripple crew is going to find a lawyer and they are going to go after every single company that ever said that they had a relationship with Ripple and they're going to sue the piss out of them in class action lawsuits from one end of the country to the other end of the country. If you are from Ripple and you were listening to this and I don't know why you are, have fun staying poor. That's the end of the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. Someone removed the fifth month from all of my calendars. I'm really dismayed. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.